so true Funny how it seems Always in time But never in line for dreams Head over heels When toe to toe This is the sound of my soul This is the sound Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, I am coming to you from the North Shore of Oahu. Once again, we've been out here on vacation for the last week. Um, By the time you listen to this, I'm probably on a plane flying back to the mainland. But um, anyway, just to let you know, and I'm outside and it's beautiful in case you hear things, wind blowing or surf rising, whatever it might be. Anyway, the point is, this week we have another fantastic interview. It is Tony Hadley, lead singer of Spandau Ballet. And I should say, possibly former, question mark, lead singer. I mean, this band, as great as they were, have had a history of, of drama. Um, you know, he's not currently in the band. Gary Kemp um, is the primary songwriter. He wrote True and most of their big hits. And uh, so he's off doing other things. So Tony's off doing other things. Solo material. In fact, he recently put out a new single called Obvious that is fantastic. And he's working on new solo material right now. So I think everyone knows the Spandau Ballet story, but in case you don't, they come up like Duran Duran, Ice House, Ultravox, these bands that start out very post-punk, blitz kids, clubbers, setting new uh, trends fashion-wise, musically. The music is very experimental until the album True that this is on, that's the total breakthrough. Now in the States, this is really their one and only hit. I mean, gold, communication, those ones kind of did well. But in general, it's just true. But around the rest of the world, especially Europe and the UK, they were huge, filling stadiums. So they go from this experimental band to this incredible million-selling, multi-million-selling album, True. And then after that, because I think of the success, they try to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually, it peters out. So Tony is a storyteller like no one else. I love it. I mean, you think about it. We, he was there for Band-Aid. He was there for Live Aid. He talks about Bowie. He talks about Freddie. He, uh, he knows and has chummed around with everyone. So we get into all of that on here. It is so much fun. And we talk about his solo career. He always had one kind of on the side. And now, of course, that's more of the primary focus. Hopefully Spandau Ballet get it together and they get back together. And if and when they do, they come out to the States and do a tour here. But if it never happens, I don't know. Keep a close eye on Tony Hadley's solo career because it's incredible as well. Now, uh, so anyway, lots of stories, lots of fun stuff. Tony is great. He called me from his home in England. So um, first and foremost, I have a really... (laughs) I have a really, really nerdy question to ask you. So I saw you in concert <laughs> in September of 2017 in Salt Lake City. You were headlining one of those 80s festivals. Ah, yes. Yeah. Yes. 
This was at a place called the Gallivan Center, which is like a little grassy park in the middle of downtown Salt Lake. And it's sort of almost surrounded by, uh, by skyscrapers. And the, the stage is on one end and you're the headliner. So you're last. The stage is at one end. And on the, at the back, on the opposite end is like a office building that had a balcony on the second floor. And that's where you guys would congregate in between. So you're standing there for a while <laughs> and Terry Nunn's there and Clive yeah. Farrington's there and everything. And my brother and I are standing kind of in the back. We're right below you. And uh, there was a portion of the day, because again, you're the headliner. So when the sun is still out, it's still daylight. You were standing there kind of leaning against the balcony. And I know this was just two months or so after officially leaving Spandau Ballet. And you had, you had kind of almost like a really somber look on your face. And my brother and I were trying to <laughs> project what you might've been thinking. And we're just imagining here's Tony's up there thinking I left Spandau Ballet so that I could play in Podunk, Salt Lake City, Utah. What am I doing? And I was just wondering <laughs> what, what goes through the mind. If you probably don't remember what you were thinking that exact moment, but it like what would you, what might have you been thinking about sitting there longingly looking out at the stage, going, "Oh man." I, 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 I tell you, I tell you what, I probably would have been thinking, "Why the bloody hell aren't we playing longer than we're playing?" <laughs> I, I remember having a battle with the promoter, saying, "Oh come on, man, thirty minutes is thirty. 35 it's, it's not long enough I, yeah. I i i want to play for an hour you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i was probably thinking uh here's another gig and we can't do everything that we want to do because what we we did do quite cleverly i suppose we, we sort of did a medley of, of stuff because we wanted to get a couple of new songs in as well but to be honest I, I'll, I'll be really honest with you leaving spand out wasn't something that was in that i wanted to do you know why would you leave you know, the band that you were at school with and everything else and had lots of success with. But when I did leave it, because of everything that happened, it was a huge relief. Because now I didn't have to keep saying, well, maybe, you know, if things work out, we could get back together. It was, no, that's yeah. it. I've left. Ta-da. Yeah. And if you want to hear those songs sung by the original lead singer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, right. that's a fairly pointed remark, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> I got to say, Ross William Wilde, who took my place, I did send him a message saying, "Good luck, watch your back." <laughs> so, uh -huh. so to be honest, it was it was a, it was a relief, and, and I've never spoken publicly as to why, but it was a very pretty damning thing that they did to me, which uh, which yeah, just you just don't do that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so it got to the point where my position was really untenable, and and that was it. And I, I wish them well, and I hope yeah. they move on and do whatever they do, but. I've got a fabulous band. I call them the fabulous TH band and they're brilliant musicians. We're all great mates and we have a laugh. We have a lot of, lot of fun. And that to me is the most important thing. If you're in the music business, which is a tough business in the first place, at least have fun while you're doing it and while you're on stage. And I remember that tour of America. It's the first time I've, we just got a couple of um, sort of, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, people carriers. Uh -huh. And we just traveled because I think most of the other bands all flew. Uh, and we decided to, no, come on, we're going to go across America. Uh -huh. so, uh, and you can do 500 miles in America without even thinking. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> and you stop at these little pit stops, petrol stops or uh, fuel stops. Uh 
Uh-huh. And everyone's so friendly. Hey, hey, where are you from? Well, we're from England. Hey. Like, <laughs> I would have lost was, it. If I bumped into you in a gas station in rural America somewhere, I would have lost my ever-loving mind. Tony I, Hadley, I, I would have freaked out. Oh my Got God. the whole place around you. <laughs> You're in some kind of band. Yeah, we are. Yes, we're yes. traveling across the... And I'll tell you what I got into, because I was uh, thinking, right, I mustn't eat, you know, don't eat too much. I'm always, it's a constant battle with weight, because I love food. I love British real ale. And also Americans are making some great uh, sort, of, uh, sort of kind of small uh, cask beer now. They're making great stuff. Um, the microbreweries, and and I love a drop of wine. So I'm so I got into beef jerky because it's like no fat, no nothing. I thought this is a good snack, and actually I really like it. Yes, oh, that's great. <laughs> Tony Hadley buys all the beef jerky when he travels across America. I love that. Well, we've got it over here now as well, and it, it, it's it's good. I like it. Really good. Okay, good, good. Yeah, you know in. Um, listening to your solo career stuff i have to i have to say i feel like the music you make as a solo artist is better suited to your voice than a lot of the spandau music was. oh i to me Thank personally you. yeah i mean like the new album talking to the moon uh the new newish i should say album talking yeah to the moon. i'm working That's, on the new one by the way are you really <laughs> oh good yeah well i've got first couple of songs I don't know what it's going to be called yet. Pretty much all the songs for the album are written. There's a few lyrics to finish here and there. But generally speaking, most of it's written. And I've got a couple of other ideas for songs. And, and I normally collaborate with people. I like that interaction. But we released the single. So I mean, people, listeners in obvious. America. Yeah. Obvious, yeah. Yeah. And we just, I just wanted to release something that was happy because we're going through bloody COVID and everything else. I wanted something that was happy to say, hey, look, this is what it was like. Uh-huh. We all love each other. Because the yeah. video was, um, we shot that at my house. My daughter, Zara, shot it on a, she's got a better iPhone than me. So we shot it in the back of the back wall of the house. And then we just put loads of footage there, everyone at raves and parties. and yeah. uh, Because that's what we love, yeah. you know, concerts and stuff. Yeah. I can't yeah. wait to get back to normal. Anyway, I'm sorry. I, Talking no. to the moon. No, this is, uh, I, I was going to bring it all up too. Yes, I love obvious, and I wondered if that was sort of a, a showing of what's to come. Speaking of which, too, you just put out a little EP called Acoustic. 
that's you yes. doing a couple. It, do you have a hand in that, or did somebody do that for you? You're laughing. Why? I, I haven't got a clue where it came from. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> My manager phoned me up, Matt. He said, "What's this acoustic thing?" I said, "I don't know. No one's talked to me about." It. So he said it's on Spotify. So it went yeah. on Spotify, and I went, "Oh, I recorded that years and years ago." Really? I think while I was at EMI. And oh, they've just put it out. I, I, yeah, wow. I mean, it's it's a it's a very very old recording. Really very old recording. There's yeah. a little cover of you doing Boys of Summer in there. figured this was new stuff you were working on and putting it out no you had no, no idea I, I had no idea where it's come from no one's told me hopefully i'll get some royalties but you don't make anything on spotify anyway yeah. uh, but uh, yeah. but no so i haven't got a clue no I'm, I'm not the new album like the talking to the moon album is just all brand new material so i'm really obvious is not Actually, that obvious in terms of what's going to be on the album, uh-huh. that was kind of more, I wanted to go a bit retro, a bit fat back band, that kind of thing. The next single, I think, is going to be a song called Because of You, which is the only other one that's finished. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it's actually a great song, even though I say so myself, but it's very anthemic and it, it, yeah. It's, it's, a, yeah, it's a good tune, yeah. Good, good. I was reading somewhere, too, um, that you... Maybe it was on your Wikipedia. I don't remember where I saw this, but it was saying yeah. something to the effect of that you actually earn more as a solo artist than you did when you were in the band. Is that right? Well, do you know what? I think that was me and my big mouth one day. <laughs> <laughs> Just putting two fingers up to uh, certain yeah. people. Yeah. yeah, I have to say, as a solo artist, you know, I, I, I do very well. Uh, I play all over the world and I'm very lucky to still be doing it. So yeah, I, I yeah, I pass. <laughs> okay. 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 That's fine. Um, you know, I, am... I, I did okay at Spanner, but I, 
but you know, I've, I've done done pretty good as a solo artist good. too. So. Okay, good. When you play those, when you play a solo show, obviously, unfortunately, you're not you're probably not going to come to the states and headline a Tony Hadley concert for an hour and a half or two, which I would love it if you did. But when yeah. you, when you do that in the UK or Europe, I mean, do you pull from old? I mean, are you up there playing muscle bound? something like that or does it mostly you know stick to the newer stuff well it's funny you mention muscle bound because it's one of those songs that i vowed never to play again <laughs> <laughs> and certainly not dressed as a blacksmith uh, as i was in the video uh, so I, uh, but when we did we did uh, some orchestral shows in london and in australia as well with a huge full orchestra and the conductor and the orchestrator said, listen, Muscle Bound would be a really cool song to do with the orchestra. And I said, oh, no, 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 I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Anyway, we tried it and it actually sounds brilliant with the orchestra. Really? You could, it's really bombastic and it's yeah. big and it's brash. And uh, so it worked very well. I, I don't do it with, with my Fab TH band, uh, my great pals. Uh-huh. But what we do do, you know, I'm a great believer you've got to give people what they want. I've seen artists forgo their big hits. Uh, even, I mean, I've seen even, even David Bowie once did a concert and he, he changed the arrangements of so many of his most brilliant songs that you didn't recognize them. Yeah, yeah. And, and people were just leaving and going to the bar and, and that was David Bowie. Yeah. So I'm a great believer. Give people what they want. So, when you come to a Tony Hadley concert, you get True, Gold, Barricades, Only When You Leave, Lifeline, Highly Strung, Cut Long Story Short, Chant the Boy. You'll get all the stuff if I'm doing a full concert. Uh-huh. Plus, we always do a Queen uh, number because I'm a massive Freddie fan and Queen fan. And possibly uh, one or two other covers. But then we'll throw in what's good about now is being able to throw in new material yeah. to say, look, I know you want the old stuff. I know that. I understand that. But hey, check this one out. Yeah. And what's happened, I did an interview the other day, and the two girls said to me, oh, you know when you come and do the festival down here, are you going to be doing your new song tonight belongs to us? I said, well, yeah, I probably will. I said, oh, that's our favourite. We love that. Yeah. And interestingly, what's happened, uh, people are now singing along to the newer stuff as well. Yeah. So, good. It, it's, you know, it takes time, 
but I'm never never as presumptuous to, as to to think to myself that I would never do gold or true or through the barricades because yeah. they're great songs. They're you know they're part of my life. And when you see the audience, you know when you say, for instance, start up true, all of a sudden people go. I love you. <laughs> You've been out for 30 years. I love you. <laughs> and, you know, you see people having a little kiss and stuff. And yeah. It's kind of nice because it's a, you know, it's I've got songs that bring back memories for me. Uh, and it's the same for, for everybody else out there. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you've talked about True a billion times. Let's talk about it again for just for a yeah. minute. I am curious, uh, you know, when I, when you think, when I listen back to Spend Out Ballet's repertoire that that whole true album you you know this was out of the blue compared to the other two the first two albums are so experimental yeah they're so post-punk whatever they are they're it's so different and then all of a sudden true is like nothing when gary presents true to the to the band are you thinking what is this or are you thinking like as a group you would thought you guys we need to streamline if we're going to go big we need to make our 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 sound more easy to swallow easy well there were several things that were happening i mean if you look at the first album journeys to glory it was songs that we've been playing for a good couple of years It was very kind of, I suppose, quite electro, four on the floor. We could have easily gone down a Depeche Mode sort of uh, career uh, from that. Then we started getting a bit experimental because I think also Bowie has always been a big influence on us in terms of the fact that he would change so often musically. So we wanted to move and progress. Uh, I remember on the second album, Steve Norman started getting into percussion and weird Eastern instruments.
so you've got the A side of the album, which is, I think, chart number one, Instinction, Paint Me Down, and Coffee Club, Club, I think. Yeah. Wow. How did I remember that? Now, the second (laughs) side of the album, I've got to tell you a story here. So when we played it to Christmas Records, so the first album, Journey to Glory, Cut Long Story Short, did well. It was a good start, a great start. Uh, And the second album, when they listened to the B-side, You've never, you, you could hear a pin drop. There's all the record company executives thinking, because in those days, unlike today, we weren't a and r So everywhere, you know, you, we just went off and made an album and they trusted right. you. Right. <laughs> they shouldn't have trusted <laughs> I the know. B-side. I mean, it was like, oh, was it Pharaoh? Um, yeah, Innocent Missionary. Missionary, yeah. I mean, it was like we'd done a tab of acid and gone somewhere else. I mean, it was, it, we, we'd gone all weird. So the record company were a bit bemused at that point. So I think uh-huh. it was a case of, we better make this one work, lads, otherwise we're out yeah. of the job. <laughs> so, so when Gary presented True, uh, I mean, I thought, wow, this is, you know, it's a, it's a ballad. And I, as a singer, I love ballads and stuff. But it had all those kind of reminded us of those um, sort of soul nights down in London. And uh, uh, it's a very kind of, uh, yeah, it was a kind of soul kind of song. And uh, yeah. things like listening to Marvin, um, you know, there was, Al, there was a lot of Al Green influence yep. in the song as well. So, yeah, this was a real departure. Plus, we recorded it in NASA and the, bah- NASA and the Bahamas. Yeah. And I have to say that had a real laid back effect on us the sun was shining we were having a good time getting together really really well swain and jolly were the producers funny enough i spoke to lee john just the other day really who produced I've imagination the, yeah i've had him yeah. on the show i love Lee. Uh, he's one of my great friends yeah so um so anyway so we had this laid back everyone's yeah man manana and uh and that had an influence on the music steve norman picked up the saxophone he learned the saxophone which is incredible uh from nothing and so the taste of the True album had was completely different to anything that had happened before. And, of course, in America, nobody really before True knew Journeys to Glory of the Diamond album. Oh. So as far as people in America were concerned, this was our very first album. It was Blue-Eyed Soul, certainly not as hard-hitting as, as the earlier stuff, yeah. but 
you know, True went to number four in the States for four weeks. It was our first number one in the UK and uh, went to number one in 21 countries around the world. Yeah. So thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I not just too was, shabby. No, not at all. I mean, it was amazing. I I remember it well. I was nine or ten years old, and that was, of course, my introduction to you guys too. That means I'm considerably older than you. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to mention I, it, but <laughs> I've got to tell you, Lee John. I spoke. Funny enough, I spoke to him yesterday. I was on the cross trainer. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm keeping keeping very fit at the moment, which is great. I feel good. good. Joe Wicks. Have you heard of Joe Wicks in America? Uh-huh. I've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. He's been absolutely. He does these keep fit programs all the time. Anyway, I've, I've lucky enough I've got a gym, so yeah. I'm on the on the treadmill and uh, I'll phone up Lee John. So there I'm puffing away. How are you, darling? He's he's on fine form. Yes. But with every musician, I spoke to Paul Young the other week and uh, Pete Cox from Go West, and you know we're all great pals and stuff. And we just we're just desperate to get back and play live. Yeah. You know that's what we that's what we do. It is so funny you mentioned those two. First of all, Pete Cox has been on here. He's one of my very favorites. I've tried to get Paul. I never hear back. But I wrote both those names down. You, Paul Young, Peter Cox, because to me, you three are sort of of a cut from a similar cloth. You know, you can do yeah. your, vo- your voices are so distinct, but so full of drama that they could you could a- apply it to anything, you know. Um, yeah, Pete's had Pete's had a much more wide ranging solo career than I think people realize. You could sing standards, you could sing jazz, you could sing dance music, whatever it is. That's so funny you mentioned them particularly because I have their names written down right here. He's, he's uh, Pete's good good funny is he he just laughs at me though he thinks I'm really I'm funny. <laughs> well, well he just, Pete's quite quiet and I'm I'm, I'm a bit gobby. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm 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 still like a kid in a sweet shop and being stupid yeah. all the time and uh, and, uh, and me because it was funny because we did this thing called Reborn in the USA uh-huh. and uh, myself Lee John and Pete Cox right and so what we did is we toured the states it was brilliant it was quite a few years ago and we went to like uh, to uh, musical towns like Philadelphia Nashville. Memphis, New York, uh, Cle- uh, Cleveland, uh, Detroit. And we met all these fantastic musicians and producers and writers. And then we would sing a song every week on this TV show. And myself, Pete and Lee, we had so much fun. New Orleans, Mardi Gras, me and Lee John. Oh, wow. Big, big cigars, pint of beer, loads of beads throwing up at everybody. Yes. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, so we had a lot, a lot of fun. But uh, the first thing we do when we, whenever we arrived in a town was, what's the best restaurant? Let's get the best restaurant. Get the best wine. <laughs> the <laughs> yes. three of us, three bloody drama queens. <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, I wish I had seen that. I, you know, a couple of years ago, Midge and Paul came through, oh, uh, yeah. did a tour, and I can <clears> see <throat> you talking about this uh, reborn in the USA. That makes sense. Do you? Could you do that again? Could you, Midge, and Paul go on a little tour? Well, it was a big ITV, uh, which is the independent uh, TV see. company yeah. in Britain. So it was a big TV thing. It cost a fortune, by all accounts. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't see any of it, but <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah. it did cost a lot of money. But yeah, I mean, I'd love to. It'd be great to do. I mean, I love Midge. I love Paul, Pete, Lee. It'd uh-huh. be great to do. Uh, I, I love the States. We just, in fact, we just got, just before lockdown, three-year visas. Oh. And in fact, the last place I played was uh, we played a big floating festival cruise ship in Miami. Yes. I literally got back to the UK 
just as it locked down. Oh. And that was our last, uh, that was our last set of shows. And um, yeah. well, we love coming to the States, but I, I don't think US customs are going to give us the year and a half back. Somehow. Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> So, so, but but we we were hoping to start to come to America a lot more and play, yeah. you know, shows. But we've got some good agents over there now that are really thinking we can do some, uh, do some great shows in the states. So, um, good, yeah, be good. brilliant. Okay, hopefully it happens. Did you feel like because after going back to True a little bit, so True comes out, it's a huge hit. Gold comes out, it cracks the top forty as well. Communication, which is <clears throat> probably my favorite of the three, doesn't hit the top 40 but it's still a single like americans were like okay true's all i need thank you goodbye and the rest of like europe and everything really embraced all the rest yeah it, i have to say it was disappointing we did uh, i mean true was remarkably huge in the states uh, and continues to get played to this day all the time. um i don't quite know what happened i know we were due for a big tour in the states and then steve norman uh, busted his crucial ligaments or whatever so we pulled the u.s tour that i think really i won't say the final nail in the coffin but didn't do us any favors and it wasn't yeah. steve's fault uh, what we should have done in retrospect is just put him on a stool yeah, <laughs> <Just right. laughs> and give him some ibuprofen yes <laughs> neurofen you know yeah and um because we were just starting to make some headway. We were getting the crowds were coming in. People were realizing that, that, that we were a great band, that we could play our instruments. You know, the singer wasn't too shabby and, yeah. and that we could put on a good performance. And so by canceling that tour, I think we, we lost the momentum and we, I don't think we ever recovered from that. Yeah. So, yeah. but like I say, it's one of those things we, we should have handled it differently, but we didn't. Yeah. Shame. Yeah, it. Uh, I wondered the same thing. I want to go back to those some questions about that in a minute, but we have some Patreon supporters, 
and a couple of them sent over some questions for you. One in particular ah. is um, Brian Morris, one of our listeners. Uh, first of all, he asked me, he just gushed about how much he loves you and loves True. Thank and you, Brian. All the other stuff. But he, um, he'd love to hear the, uh, the story about the song, I'll Fly For You. says is a sort of he thinks is a sort of sequel to true and, he, uh, and an underrated song he wonders what the story behind i'll fly for you if there even yeah, is one. i i suppose that well lyrically i mean some of the lyrics could be a little bit obscure but i'll fly for you was telling a little bit of a story um it's about sort of you know absolute total love i will do anything for you i'm passionately in love with you and i'll fly for you which is in a sense the ultimate sort of accolade of love you know yeah and uh so i like that song we do do it occasionally actually but what we what happened during that period was quite interesting i think i'll fly for you is a great song but we then started to go into the competition with duran duran as to who could make the best video yeah. <laughs> or or to rephrase it who could spend uh more more of the record company's money us or duran duran so, uh-huh. <laughs> so i remember we recorded the video in mardi gras in um in new orleans and so the video the video is absolutely lovely shot in 35 mil so it looks at absolute simon mills was director looks a million dollars and it was great to film i mean we we were down there. We had a beautiful girl in the video, and we were uh-huh. Mardi Gras. I remember down down in Mississippi feeding crocs or yeah crocodiles or alligators uh-huh. right. with uh, with with buns, you know, sticky buns and stuff. And I, I do remember we went into we were just outside of New Orleans. We went into a sort of um, a food store, grocer's store, uh-huh. and uh, the guys in the in the the rest of the guys in the band all had earrings. I, I never never wanted that, but they uh-huh. all wore earrings. And we looked a bit, you know, we were dressed a bit strange, I suppose, for those parts. And as we were walking around the store getting some Coca-Cola and some crisps and stuff, and uh, you could hear, what the goddamn just walked in here? Goddamn, what is going on in this world? You know, so <laughs> people were openly kind of, uh, as they say that today, dissing us. Like, yes, they were dissing yes. us. <laughs> and we were like, Okay, it's yeah. okay. Calm down. We're just we're from England. It's all right. right. We're a bit different, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> but you did. You got that reaction sometimes. Yeah, I believe Certain it. Certain places in the states. Uh, I mean, obviously New York, and yeah, that's a different kettle of fish. But down in right. New Orleans, 
But I love New Orleans. And I, yeah. I oh, wonderful place. So the video that accompanies I'll Fly For You is is a bit special. I, I think it's a lovely, okay. lovely video. Beautifully Good. shot. Good to know. Um, one of our other listeners, Ian Sharp, sent over a couple of questions. I'll, I'll condense it. But one of them was he was curious, considering the uh, – we don't have to dwell on it too long, but the legal battle, um, <laughs> you and John and Steve were all sort of on a team. Do you, are you guys still friendly with each other? Is there a dissension, I guess, in the band? Do you keep in touch with certain people? None, no one? What's the state? Um, up until recently, I, I wasn't in touch with anybody in the band. Uh, but very sadly, um, uh, Steve Norman had a couple of uh, family uh, bereavements. And and I've I've phoned him up. Well, very one was very tra- well, both tragic, and so I phoned him up. And and also his mum, who, who sadly died just last the summer, uh, was best friends with my mum. So okay. even though there was still stuff going on between us, my mum and his mum were great friends. And uh, so me and Steve have we, we've crossed the bridge, and uh, we're in touch with each other. Good. And uh, I went to his, his mum's funeral and, uh, you know, Steve's, Steve's fine. We had a very frank discussion about what happened and what the band did to me. Uh, I'm not sure Steve understands it completely, but uh, as I said to him, you know, <laughs> why do you think I left? So uh, there right. you go. That's okay. But uh, I haven't been in touch with anybody else and, and probably I've got no intention of yeah. getting in touch with anybody else. Yeah, that's too bad. Uh, another question. It's very Ian. sad. <laughs> it can, really can I is. add to that? Yes, I mean, I please. do think it's sad. The whole thing is sad, and it, it uh, and there's been, there's some of the fans have said, "Oh, you know, it's Tony's fault." It says, "I promise you, it's nothing to do <laughs> with me." The reason I left was because of something they did wasn't very pleasant, and they know why. Uh, they've tried to sugarcoat it over the last few years, but it was a very specific reason as to why I left. And I think it's really sad for the fans. I really do. I mean, I, I, I think that's terribly sad for them and disappointing, but there's, there's nothing else I could have done. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. I, um, I appreciate you saying that, Tony, because I didn't, I purposely didn't want to make you feel like you had to talk about it again over and over. Yeah, no, I'm cool. I'm cool. Yeah, I'm, okay. sort of, I'm pretty much e- easy, easy, pretty okay. easy, actually. <laughs> okay, good. Um, okay. Another kind of funner question for me, and he was curious if there was uh, any, if there's any leftover Spandau Ballet music, like in the vaults. Did it? Did you write a song? Did you guys record a song that never saw the light of day, or got pushed to a different album and then left behind? Is there? Could you put out a Spandau box set or something like that? Well, I, I mean, I don't have anything to do with yeah. Spandau at all. I mean, I don't have anything to do with the release of stuff i don't have anything to do with the release of songs on adverts or or whatever i i've literally nothing to do with it at all they did just put out another oh yeah it's called the box or something i think right celebrate 40 years of of the business yeah and there was a song on there which i hoped would never see the light of day (laughs) it was one of those ones uh it was one from the vaults uh it was the boxer Though my story's seldom told I have squandered my resistance A pocket full of mumbles Such your promises All lies and jest Still a man hears what he wants to hear And he 
Running scared, laying low, seeking out the poorer quarters where the ragged people go. I was looking for the places only they would know. La la la, la 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 And Michael Kamen was the producer. Uh, it was the Simon and Garfunkel song. Yeah. It, I, I don't think it's our finest hour. Uh, I really don't. It's it's okay. Uh, but I, I wish they'd never put it on there. But like I said, I've got no control over it. So when would that have been recorded? That was recorded around about the time that the band were disintegrating. <laughs> That's why really? I, don't, I don't have particularly fond memories of it. Yeah. We'd recorded Heart Like a Sky, and it, it was we were thinking of starting the next album, uh, and we thought, well, let's do a cover because that's the easiest thing to do. Personally, I wanted to do um, Hall of Notes, and I'm a massive, I mentioned Philadelphia earlier on, huge Hall of Notes fan. Uh, Me Hall. Wow, what a voice. Same. And, uh, and a nice couple of guys as well. And, uh, and I wanted, they did a, a great version of, You've lost that love and feeling. And yeah. it down. Uh, uh, and I yeah. wanted, I thought, if we did a version like a real stomping kind yeah. of Philly Hall and Oates kind of version of that, that would have been my choice. Something that, okay. you know, I am just a poor boy with all my stories. <laughs> no, that wasn't my choice. <laughs> <laughs> and I, don't, oh. I didn't even like the original. Really? <laughs> I love oh, no. Simon and Garfunkel, but I, I never. I wasn't a great fan of the original. Sorry, yeah. sorry okay. to all those Simon and Garfunkel fans. <laughs> Love everything else they did, but not that one. Okay, okay, good to know. I was curious. <laughs> um, now, uh, going back to okay, so the when you guys put out Parade, did you feel? I mean, did did America? Did the record label make an effort to make it break again or continue any kind of momentum in the states? Trying to think, uh, 
Because Our Fly For You, was uh, that was on that album. That was that Great one. Album. Only When You Leave. I remember loving leave. that song, hearing it on the Was radio. Lifeline on it or was that on the True album? Oof. Lifeline was not on uh, Parade. That was on the True album. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I thought only, I like Only When You Leave. I thought Only When You Leave, I'll Fly For You. A uh, couple of great tunes. I, 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 we, I don't think we got necessarily the support that we wanted in America. I, I don't know why. You know, the politics of music is always. Uh, I, I've, I've never understood it. Um, yeah. And the trouble is, there is an awful lot of politics in the music business. People say to me, you know, do you tone? Do you like the music business? No, I think it sucks. Uh-huh. It's awful. People get ripped off. And it's a nasty business. Uh, the expectations are huge. Uh, and, and most of the time, the what you get out of it is not very very much, especially for young artists, I think. So I, 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 we were very disappointed because we thought we'd made a good album. I, Parade is probably one of my favorites, actually. Good. I thought we'd made a good album. But um, it wasn't necessarily to be. And we sort of, I suppose, retreated back to Europe and toured relentlessly in Europe. Um, yeah. But I miss the States. I mean, I love touring the States. That's why as a solo artist, I'm trying to make some kind of headway there. Yeah. Uh, one of the great things about touring America is that uh, if, you're, if you're pretty good at what you do, uh, and, and my, I call them the Fab TH band, are such brilliant musicians and we're great mates. And if you're good at what you do, Americans really appreciate yeah. the time you take and they, they, you, you get a great reaction from American audiences. And uh, they really listen and they're really enthusiastic and they whoop and they woo woo yeah. and all this. Yeah, business. But yeah. they're really into their music. And so so it's our intention to to try and get over there as much as possible. So yeah, good. See okay. what happens. So last week, a friend of mine teaches an art class at a university here in Denver. And last week he asked me to present to his students because they're talking about the transition from punk to new wave. And uh-huh. um so Spandau Ballet came up a lot in this class that I taught. And, oh, okay. uh, and I was curious what I, I thought as I was doing it, as I'm teaching this class, I'm thinking, I'm going to be talking to this guy next week. I wonder what his answer <laughs> to that would be. How did, how in your mind, because you guys are, if nothing, I mean, you're a huge band, but you're, you guys were also, as you know, huge trendsetters at the time. How yeah. did you view the transition from punk to new wave i know the answer i gave the class i'm curious what you would say well um, first firstly i gotta say punk was brilliant i i loved it it um it was such a great period for music i used to go and see bands three or four times a week every pub every club featured a band a a punk a, a punk band of some sort you know whether just i i saw so many bands and i loved it absolutely loved it I mean, Susie Sue doing the Lord's Prayer at the Roxy was, to this day, one of the biggest highlights of my life. Yes. Our Father, which art in heaven. She's brilliant. I love Susie. Me too. And um, so, you know, The Clash, Generation X, The Vibrators, The Buzzcocks. I was so uh, many, many great bands at the time, obviously Pistols. And the punk thing was great. And we were, we were sort of almost like a part of that because we formed the band at school before we became Spano Ballet. Uh-huh. And when we were the makers, we were almost like a Generation X kind of oh, band. Yeah, one, okay. two, three, four, uh, you know, uh-huh. sort of kind of melodic 
punk, I suppose. Uh-huh. And we, as, as a band, started to get uh, Richie Miller was the bass player in the band at the time. Mm. It's sounding like Spinal Tap, isn't it? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he exploded, you know. So yeah, he's, of course. <laughs> he's just, uh, but uh, so, so we've, we've, we've started to get good reviews um, in the music papers and stuff like that, but it just didn't materialize. And sort of punk then, it just started to fade off. Uh, there, there was, there was, it just became a little bit too violent in some of the clubs. Uh, you know what we're like over here, we're always fighting. Yeah, dobbing, <laughs> everything. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, there was all that going on. And it, it, it was initially brilliant. Uh, but then slowly out of that uh, came this influence from uh, sort of certainly from Berlin with Kraftwerk and La Düsseldorf. Uh, Systems of Romance by Ultravox with John Fox as the lead singer. Amazing, one of my favourite albums. Human League in 77 yeah. uh, were playing the Marquee and Wardle Street. I remember seeing them and, oh, wow, Phil Oakey, wow. You know, and quite electro. And so there was there was a, a musical change going on anyway. Uh, and here we, here we were with synthesizers and that then changed our sound. We then became Spanner Valley. We, we bought or we, we uh, had on higher purchase uh-huh. that we paid every month because right. um, we couldn't afford to buy it. Uh, right. A Yamaha CS10 synthesizer, which I wish we'd kept because it would be a museum piece. And that then changed the whole sound of the band and the way Gary was writing and everything. And then with Billy's and the Blitz Club in London, Steve Strange, Rusty Egan, Marilyn, Boy George, the whole it went from punk into sort of new Romo, if you like, yeah, future, yeah. futuristic new Romo. Brilliant, brilliant period. Very exciting. And of course for us, it was, it was amazing because we got recognized by the record companies and, um, and the national press and we signed a record deal. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, you're, I feel the same about a lot of that. The thing that too, that I feel like punk is not, and I've made this case before with other people who've been on the show like members of human league and everything, because I feel like if punk, if you, if you boil it down to its pure essence, it's a DIY do it yourself mentality about toward making music. And we think of punk as being little kids in their garage, like banging on a couple of chords and making a song out of nowhere. And that's true. But if you apply that same logic, the people who are out there buying the cheap synthesizers Instead of banging away on a guitar, they're just plinking away on a synthesizer. The same DIY attitude is being applied to both. Absolutely. Things. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think we wanted to try and sort of break, you know, because I mean, I listen, I love glam rock. I, I love okay. the sweet. I love Bowling, Bowie, Roxy Music, Bebop Deluxe. I mean, all those, you know, Rod Stewart, Elton John. I mean, that, that whole 70s period for me, I absolutely love. And um, I, I suppose it was quite fashionable at the times of sort of, yeah, these old rockers should all go and resign, you know, you know, we're the youth of today. But I also think you, you just sort of touched, you just reminded me actually, what happened to punk when it was kind of underground and slightly subversive, it was at its most attractive. Yeah. And I think what happened is that it then became sort of pretty popularized and next minute bands were on top of the pops and, and all of a sudden, oh, okay, well, actually, pretty much like any other kind of music. It's different music, right. but they're doing the same thing as everybody else. Yeah. And all of a sudden, out of that, then you had this another kind of, another underground kind of yeah. movement that was coming out. You had the Durannies in Birmingham, Depeche uh, down in, in Basel, and us in London, Human League in Sheffield, and um, yeah. and was it Be- um, 
Oh, what was the offshoot of the Human League? Ah. Oh, the uh, oh. Heaven 17. Heaven 17. Great, yeah. guys. Yeah. I've got to mention the damned. Captain Sensible, one of the loveliest fellows you could ever meet. Brilliant man. Really? I love the damned. Oh. He, he was so funny once. We were at a charity thing, um, uh, a children's charity, and we were at Planet Hollywood in London. And we'd done everything. We'd done the songs and all that business. And I think he did Happy Talk. And, uh, and we were sitting around a table with my mom and some of my family. And the captain was there. And, and he swore. And I looked at him and he went, oh, sorry, Tone. Sorry, Mrs. Adley. I didn't mean to swear. <laughs> So captain. <laughs> captain, it's all right, mate. It's all right. But I pre thanks for apologizing to my mum, you know. To, That's great. And then I remember jo old Johnny Rotten, uh, Johnny Lydon, he came to my uh, I had a birthday drink in Highgate once. And uh, and he was he was funny, funny guy. He's a funny guy. Uh -huh. And I remember now sitting there, John, behave yourself in there. There's my aunts and uncles, my mum and dad. So on your best behavior. All right, Tony, I'll be on my best behavior. And he was as good as gold. He's lovely, lovely fellow. That's the best. That's the best. Yeah. Okay, I have to be honest. I have, as I was getting ready to talk to you, I was just imagining all the people you've met and hung out with and spent time with. And I got to hear some stories. You mentioned earlier, Freddie. You, I, I, I'm yeah. assuming you've met Freddie or yeah. spoken to him or been around <laughs> him or whatever. Do you have a Freddie story? Uh, yeah, I, well, Freddie was just uh, lovely. Freddie and, and all the boys were brilliant. And I've always been a massive Queen fan. Freddie, Freddie was funny. I mean, he was really funny. And I remember we, Spandau were in, in Australia. And uh, we were meant to be playing New Zealand. And it was our first tour of Australia. And it was going to be our first tour of New Zealand, 1985. Um, 84, 85. And I was so excited about going to New Zealand as well. Anyway, for some reason, and I still to this day do not know why, the tour was cancelled. I thought, what am I going to do? Oh, you know, there's only so much hanging around you can do. I know, Queen are playing in New Zealand. I'll go and see Queen. So I flew over there with someone to look after me because I can be a liability sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Mark came over with me and we booked into Freddie and the Boys Hotel. I went down to the sound check and uh, saw all the lads. Hi, Tone, all right. Hi, guys, how are you? And everything. And we went back to... Um, the hotel and fred said you fancy a drink darling i said yeah okay so we hit the bar and we we literally drank a bottle of stolich nye vodka this is before he's got to go on stage so he then went to fred's room and, and he didn't have much in. he said do you want a bottle of port i said yeah well, i'll have really some port so we drank a whole bottle of vodka and we drank a whole bottle of port well fred's got to be on stage in just a few hours i was off my face he was off his face and and he said darling darling do you want to come and sing a song tonight? I said, yeah, all right. Yeah, okay, cool. And so, so we agreed to do Janice Rock. Neither of us really knew the lyrics. Uh -huh. uh, so he phoned up the band and, and they said, yeah, yeah, it'd be great. So, oh, Freddie, Freddie, at one point, Freddie was on stage and I felt rough. And there's 40,000 people out there. And I'd been told also to keep a low profile because we just cancelled the first Spandau Tour of New Zealand. So there, there we are. I'm on the side of the stage, 40,000 people. Freddie comes over, lays on the piano, floats, flouts himself all over the piano. He says, Hadley, you bastard, I'm so pissed. <laughs> and he goes back on again. And, and I, I went on stage. There is one picture that exists of me and Freddie. And we did JLS Rock. And I couldn't, I was like, how's your back? How's your back? How's your whole? How's your whole? 
did I know the news? Did I? You know. And uh, yeah, so uh, that that was so much for my low profile in New Zealand. But it was a uh, it was a great moment, and it was lovely. And funny That's enough, great. when I was in Australia, uh, the last tour just before lockdown, before we went to the states, uh, before the lockdown, we were in Australia, and uh, Roger Taylor and uh, came to the gig that we were doing. And there he was on, on the side of the stage. And we daren't tell our drummer, Tim By, because he, he loves Roger Taylor and he's like a big hero. And he couldn't believe that Roger Taylor was watching him, you know, watching him on the drums and stuff. No kidding. And then we had a good old drinky poo with Roger and Spike. Spike Edney plays keyboard uh, with uh, uh-huh. Queen and stuff. So we had a great drink and a, a reminisce after the oh. show. Brilliant. Lovely, oh, lovely wow. little lads. Oh, yeah. wow. Um, what about Bowie? Did you, I, I would imagine you crossed paths with Bowie or no? Yeah, well, on um, on the whole, the, the band aid thing, and yeah. um, uh, I know he was also at Geldof's uh, Bob Geldof's wedding to Paulie Yates, and okay. David Bowie was there, and, and and Bob had invited everybody. Uh-huh. And I remember we played rounders in the garden afterwards. It was, it was really we dressed like the Mad Hatter or something, and we were all playing <laughs> rounders. You know, it was it was bizarre with with Bob's aunts and uncles. It was uh, you know there was Bowie there, Simon the Bomb, me, Geldof. Uh, Midge, you know, playing rounders. It was it was slightly surreal, but he was lovely, David. Really, you know, I only met him a few times, and he was just just a really nice chap. It's a, but it's always very weird when you meet your heroes, whether it be yeah. Freddie or Brian Ferry or David Bowie, Elton Rod. I mean, these are people that you, as a child, watched on top of the pops. Um, uh, you know Barry Gibb. I want you know the Bee Gees. What Barry a Gibb, great bunch yeah. of guys. You know, he's a lovely man. And see, so these guys you looked up to, uh, and girls as well. You know, you looked up to all your heroes, thinking, "Wow!" And then you meet them, and they actually turn out to be as nice as you hoped they would be. And that's always a lovely feeling for a young musician. Yeah. And um, I, and talking about young musicians, I talked about this earlier on. It's so difficult for young artists now to get exposure and record company commitment, it's very, very difficult. And yeah. that's an area which we need to work on because where, where's the next generation going to... I know there's some great artists out there and I, I love some of the new stuff, but there's probably not enough of it, I don't think, yeah. that's getting through to mainstream. Yeah, I know. I don't know where yeah. we go from here. The, the business, as you guys knew it, doesn't exist and I don't know how you rebuild i don't know what kind of foundation you build from here yeah i mean it. Well, it, i don't know about in america but in in the uk you know there used to be loads of pubs pub pubs you know yeah. we all love pubs over here sure. loads of pubs and, and small clubs to to play in and and there's just not there's not the opportunity now for young bands and young artists to play and i think that's really sad and then i heard the other day that they're signing signing if you do get are lucky enough to get signed signing artists on a two single deal it's like what yeah. you know so there's not even the album commitment anymore yeah and then they want you to do a year of social media right. interaction before they even release the song and it could yeah. be you know goodbye yellow brick road but they're not going to yeah. release it until you've done a year's worth of uh, social media promo it's yeah very, that's my it's really different I agree. That's my understanding too, is they're really only cherry picking or plucking people who already have large social media, you know, yeah. fans or whatever, so that they don't have to do that work. Oh, all that yeah. hard marketing part's already been done. I'll just pull them out. They're, yeah. They'll bring their listeners and fans with them and we've got it made rather than and then you know, really building somebody. 
And then, of course, the, the, the lot of record companies now they want a 360 deal. They want part of the publishing, yeah. part of the merchandising, part of the touring income. And the artist is not going to make any money for records, that's for sure. So, you know, by the time that the you know, young artist is paid the manager, the record company is taking the cut. Yeah, I, I met a band of uh, releasing their second album that most of them were doing like uh, taxi cab driving on the side. You know? yeah. yeah. So very shame. difficult. It's, it's, it's tough for young bands. It really is. I'm, I'm very lucky that I reasonably established around the world and could still make a living. And I'm lucky enough to be singing and performing with my band. And I, 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 I love the fact I'm still doing it. Yeah. But for the young artists, I, I do really feel for them. I really do. Yeah. I don't know how they, where they go from here. I don't know. No, I don't either. Um, okay. Just a few more questions, if that's okay. Yeah. Are no you good? Worries, no worries. Okay. Yeah. I'm um, great. Yeah. Tell me a PM Dawn story because uh, I love them. I had DJ Minimix on here a few years ago and I, uh, that uh, set of drift on Memory Bliss was transformational for a lot of things, ah. a lot of people. that was the first time that i'd ever heard of any anybody I'd, I'd heard of it before but you know they came along and said look you know can we sample the the true the yeah. bit from true hey i don't have a problem with that do we I, I, none of the band did i mean they they were really cool guys and what they did with it was fantastic i loved what they did I, yeah. it was cooler than the original track actually yeah. so, so yeah. It, was, it was super cool and then they said to me said because uh, we met prince and Jarrett in the studio and and they said uh, look home would you like to be in the video i said yeah okay so he flew me over to miami had a few days in miami chilling out in the bars uh and then i filmed for a day so i had a week in miami filmed for one day that was all right yeah that's not so bad that's, that's not so bad yeah Money so, for um, nothing. i thought it was fantastic and they they were also really lovely lovely fellas as well really yeah. nice chaps and yeah. I, I don't think they've they've had a lot of luck in life since that point, um, uh, I, I'd heard that one of them had, had passed away. Yeah, Prince B I, I, died uh, five or six years ago. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, sad, sad. Because yeah, they were lovely, is. lovely fellas. They really were. 
and, and a great record. And a, you know, they were. I thought they were very, very talented. Very talented. Yeah, I agree. Okay, I wondered what a story if you had a story there. Um, I was curious too if you ever get asked to do more acting. I mean, I think you've done some. Gary shows up in like the craze, and Martin gets to make out with Alyssa Milano and Embrace of the Vampire and stuff like that. Do you get invited? Yeah. Do you get asked to do that kind of stuff? No. No, nope. <laughs> I've, I've done a couple of little fun things. I, I did a little thing for Kim Wilde. She, which is making a fun, a fun film. So I did a bit for her. I did a bit of a comedy thing where I just basically played myself. They put a wig on me to make me look oh. like I was doing. I was in the True video. That was quite okay. funny with Keely Hawes, who's absolutely lovely, Keely Hawes. And um, apart from that, no, I, uh. I suppose I've not really. I think acting's one of those weird things. You've got to sort of say, right, I'm going to take a year off. And I'm going to dedicate myself to acting, but you know, my music is is what I really, really, okay. really love. But listen, if there's a Hollywood producer, director out there who thinks that he's that I could be the part, then just give us a call. I'm I'm happy. I you know, okay. I'd happily take any action adventure, gritty crime drama that any American producer or director will offer me. So and and I'm available. Good, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, I could see you playing like Colin Firth's brother or something like that. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I could see that. I so when see. when Martin and Gary go off and do some acting, are they did someone just ask them if they wanted to do it, or did they do that same thing? Like, I'm gonna devote some time to an acting career and see what happens. It, well, it was all their their kind of acting career started sort of uh, to, when we were making the last album, uh yeah. Heart Like a Sky. Uh, I can't remember how it came about. No. They 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 were friends with a, a couple of people who were producers, okay. and that they started banding it about that you know because they were brothers, they'd be ideal to yeah. play the Cray twins, and and I think it just kind of snowballed from there. Sometimes okay. you can start, you can throw the pebble in, and it can yeah. expand, and I think that's what happened there. Um, okay. But um, you know, yeah. Okay, you guys were so huge. I wondered if. You say about directors, I wondered if directors were like, all the Spandau guys are so good looking. Let's go grab all of them and bring them into my into our movies. Yeah, never had. I mean, I, I, okay. it's a shame. I wish I'd done, done, done a yeah, bit. Okay. But, you know, if you don't ask, you don't. That's true. Uh, That's no true. one asked me. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I wanted to mention, too, just in passing, you're six foot four, one of the taller guys in rock music. I'm six eight, so I can identify Six, eight yeah, yeah. wow <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. i've got to tell you john i've actually i've actually down by about an inch and a half really yeah yeah i've got i've got about four discs that are compacting <laughs> so yeah i i've lost i lost even my brother said to me he said you're getting smaller <laughs> shut up <laughs> I, I i have lost a bit of height i mean i i, I do i've had back problems for years so uh yeah. yeah yeah i hear you i think that comes with the territory of being tall but uh, yeah. yeah, I want. I just wanted to empathize with you. I I I have tallness myself. Tall um, jeans. Yes, the tall jeans. Uh, okay, one more thing. Were you and Duran Duran ever as com as uh, was it a friendly combative. competition? Combative. Is, is, is that the word? Combative. Yes. <laughs> well, there like was. It. it always gets. It always gets pitched as like a Blur Oasis or Biggie and Tupac thing. Like, are you? Yeah, yeah. You know, are you? Uh, are you friendly? Do, do, I imagine there's a friendly competition there, kind of like Elton and Rod seem to have. Yeah, it's 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 always friendly competition. It's very rarely do you get a, like a, a 
big degree of animosity between musicians. It's very, very rare. I mean, I remember we played the Botanical Gardens just in Birmingham. And, and after the show, we'd heard about Duran. They'd heard about us. So we all went to the Rum Runner. And that was the first time we all met. And we all had, had a great drinky poos. And what a great set of guys. And, yeah. you know, whether it was Depeche Mode, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Duran Duran, uh, Culture Club, there was always a bit of friendly rivalry. I mean, but that was more to do with chart rivalry sure. rather than actual, you know, I don't like you. It, it, yeah. it wasn't like that at all. I think there was one one point where John Taylor said to me, he said, guy, Tony, did you say that about us? I said, oh, John, come on, mate. You know, I'm a big fan of you guys. Right. You know, I, 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 I'm actually a big Duran fan. And I said, no, no, no. I said, listen, don't believe everything you read. I've meant to be in a club on the floor, couldn't stand, and I was in another city. So (laughs) don't believe everything that's written in the press. And uh, and I'm hoping uh, they're playing uh, Hyde Park in um, July, I think, the 24th. So I'm hoping to go go along to that because, now this is the funny thing, is the sax player that plays with Duran Duran, Simon Willescroft, is also plays with me as well. Really? Yeah. No way. And he was in the same band. Uh, I, I've remained friends with him ever since uh, I, I met my wife, who was an event organizer, uh, organizing a show in Mauritius. And, and we met, we were just friends. And I met Simon at the same time as well. And we've all been friends all these years on. No way. Well, I married, I married yeah, one of them. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's wild. Oh, that's yeah. great. So okay. if he's got the choice of, you know, Duran or me on the 24th of July, Hyde Park, you know, <laughs> anyway, I'm going to talk to him about that. Yeah. You're going to have to put him on retainer so he doesn't yeah, yeah. moonlight anywhere. Um, okay. <laughs> do you have, can you, can you share, you've probably been asked this a million times too. Can you share a Band-Aid story? A Band-Aid was brilliant. It was a brilliant yeah. moment. And you, you mentioned Duran Duran and we were doing a, uh, I think it was called Peter's Pop, I think it was Peter's Pop Show in Germany. And we went out till about four o'clock in the morning or something like that. We were quite wrecked. And obviously we'd been asked by Bob, could you come and do this single or, you know, sing on this song on a Sunday morning at Psalm West? And we said, yeah, yeah, Bob, of course we can. You know, there's a big problem in Ethiopia. Yeah, we want to help, definitely. And so what started is a simple conversation between a couple of the Spanair boys and Bob down the King's Road. By the time we got back from this promo tour of Europe, it expanded into this massive, big event. And as we all arrived at the airport, we were all looking a bit worse for wear. Uh, but there were like 300 screaming fans outside and camera crews and everything, you know, because the Durans and the Spandals were coming in at the same time. And all of a sudden we thought, oh, God, we look dreadful. And we all <laughs> rushed into the toilet, half a ton of makeup on a, and a bit of hairspray. But... Uh, uh, <laughs> But Band-Aid was brilliant. It was really lovely. And, and in typical British tradition, it was a cup of tea, a custard cream biscuit, and a chicken drumstick for lunch. That's Wonderful. great. That's great. That's great. Uh, and Shara, what, do you have a Live Aid memory? Oh, Live. Well, my, the, the Live Aid was, I mean, that was incredible. They were all my heroes backstage. Yeah. Uh, there was the Hard Rock Cafe doing all the, so you've got a picture of Hard Rock Cafe doing all the burgers and everything. You know, there's Freddie flying around, Roger, uh, David Bowie, Paul McCartney, Phil Collins. And then you're just going, hi, guys. You know, brilliant, amazing. George Michael, the late, very great George. Uh, So some wonderful people all around backstage. Everyone, no egos. The the question I get asked a lot, were there any egos? No, there weren't. It was brilliant. Uh, Prince, Princess Diana, Prince Charles, dignitaries. 
It was a moment in history. And what does Tone do? He wears a big, thick leather coat in 80-degree heat in front of 80,000 people. I was sweating like a badger's bottom. Uh, it was absolutely ridiculous. And, and actually, it was funny enough, uh, all these years on, people still talk about the leather coat. And, <laughs> and, and the question, why? Why, Tony? Why did you wear that? Because I thought it looked really cool at the time. Right. I didn't realise it was going to be so flipping hot. <sighs> anyway, I've recently found the coat, and uh, it's around my manager's office, and we're, we're going to auction it off at some point when we get out of this, this flipping lockdown uh-huh. thing and uh, auction it for charity. But uh, I've found my Live Aid coat. So, uh, so the highest bidder <laughs> will get this, this moment of history. Yeah, the sweaty tone Live Aid coat. It's That's probably great. got sweat marks still in it, I bet. It probably does. <laughs> probably does. Honestly, Joe, I came off stage and I was, I mean, I sweat a lot when I'm on stage anyway, because it's a very yeah. physical show. Sure. And I, I literally just was dripping, dripping yeah. for England. Yeah, <laughs> dripping for England. <laughs> That's great. Oh, man. Okay. Well, Tony, I, uh, I just love you a lot. And I'm so grateful that you talked to me. Uh, let me ask one last question. Is yeah, there, yeah, 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 do no you way. have like a favorite story? I mean, you're, you've just told a number of great stories. Is there... Again, going back, I'm sure that I'm not even asking the right questions that are prompting your best ones. But can you think of what one of your favorite that's that you feel comfortable sharing? Is there uh, just a like ooh. you would not believe the career I've had, you guys? For instance, yeah, they're, they're, oh, there's. Oh, no, I'm just trying to think of one that sticks out. Well, there there was one moment. There was one moment. This is, uh-huh. uh, I mean, you know, loads of artists forget words or don't come in at the right time or whatever. Uh, don't do that with an orchestra, by the way. It's a, it's a car crash. It's a train crash. Yeah. Um, but one thing, I, I we were on the, uh, I think it was the parade tour, and the set was designed in such a way, the drums, the percussion, everything, and there was these stairs, newly painted stairs, uh, coming down the sort of the middle of the band, if you like, or just uh-huh. offset from the band. Uh, there were... 12,000 people at Wembley Arena. And I'm coming down singing with the pride. So, which was a, just leave me with the pride. Uh-huh. An old Spanish song. Uh-huh. And as I'm coming down, I'd stupidly worn my new leather cowboy boots with my leather trousers. And as I'm coming down, I'm trying to be oh so cool. And everyone's going, oh, this is lovely moment. Lovely. <laughs> and I've fallen down about 10 flights of steps and I'm a heap at the bottom of the steps. The band are carrying on and all you can see is me on the floor laughing my tits off. Just going, sorry about that, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> There was, there was nothing I could do. And then the audience just realised, you know, that I was just, because at first people go, oh, yeah, and then they realised I just was laughing my head off about it. I, I, I didn't finish the song that I hastened to add. Uh, so my, my moment of glory, I came down the stairs looking like uh, I was like I was, I was trying to be cool like Shirley Bassey, but without uh-huh. a frock, and uh, and I made a right pig's ear of it. So oh, there's there's a, a note in there when wearing new leather shoes always scuff the soles. There you go. <laughs> got you it. Heard it okay, from got it. Good advice. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Tony, for talking with me. This is the best. You're the best. Thank you for everything. John, thank you. It's been lovely chat. It's been it's been good. You you've made me feel good today. Good. So, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad. You and, too. Uh, 
Yeah, listen, so like I say, we want to get over to the States as soon as we can. So uh, love it over there. So, Hope so. Um, and hi to everyone. And hi to my auntie um, who lives just outside uh, just outside Chicago. Oh, really? My auntie, auntie Doris. My auntie Dole. Yeah. Good. All right, gang. There you have it. Tony Hadley. Love him. Love the band. Uh, I want to close it out with another one of his solo songs. This is one of my favorite songs of his. It's called Delirious. I love this track. Now, next week is probably, I guess you might consider sort of a peer of Tony and Spando Ballets. One of the key figures in British synth pop, absolutely. Key member of two of the most important synth pop bands ever. And this guy tells a, uh, gives us a lot of insight into his career, into that life, into that genre. It is such an interesting conversation. Plus, he's a podcaster too. And uh, so anyway, that's going to be a fun one. Huge thanks, as always, to Yanaman Makiewicz, my right-hand man, for everything that you do. Thank you, buddy. I'm so glad we get to do this together. Guys, we're on a huge winning streak right now, and it's going to continue for a while. So I'm so excited for you to hear what we have coming up. Um, you guys can like our page. You can send us a message on there, on Facebook, I'm saying. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. We will be back next week with another episode. I don't believe there is any bonus material coming out for a bit, but we do have some coming up, including another book club. Um, yeah, some special stuff that you're going to want to check out. Okay? Thanks, everybody. We love you. Emotional, more, 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 more.